a top 10 Tuesday here on the EP podcast. I'm Austin Horton. Thanks for joining me. I do truly, really appreciate it. Uh, I'm getting some uh, nominations for some uh, Military Monday guests, so keep those coming in. I could always use more. Um, Austin.Horton at 1280thezone.com if you'd like to nominate somebody. Would love to have them be our guest uh, on a Military Monday. But it is a top 10 Tuesday, which means we've got to roll 10 stories to bring to your attention today and talk about here on the podcast. So let's get going. We're going to start right here with the uh, wheel of Tuesday's topics. Give it a spin, see where it lands. And of course, as always, topic five be something random and weird or, or, or cool. But here we go. Topic one is... Rest in peace, Don Shula, the winningest coach in NFL history. Don Shula uh, passed away uh, yesterday. Uh, he, he was uh, a lot of people know him. Well, everyone knows him as the longtime coach of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, and all he did was win. I mean, the guy was an incredible football coach. Uh, and as I said, was the winningest coach in NFL history. With 347 victories, he is first in most games coached, 526, most consecutive seasons coached, 33, and Super Bowl losses. He's had four of those, tied with Bud Grant, Dan Reeves, and Marv Levy. Uh, He, of course, uh, he set numerous records in 33 seasons as head coach, Uh, and he was uh, the coach of the uh, perfect Miami Dolphins season. The Dolphins went 14-0 in 1972. And every year when a team loses, they all gather together and pop some champagne and celebrate that they're the only NFL team to go uh, undefeated. Now, uh, Don Shula was 90 years old. He was also a restauranteur, restauranteur, whatever, however you want to say that. And uh, by all accounts, was a really good person. So rest in peace to Don Shula, who passes away at the age of 90. All right, let's spin that wheel, see what's up next on a Top 10 Tuesday. Iron Mike, Mike Tyson, is he staging a comeback at the age of 53 years old? There's been uh, a lot of videos, uh, one specifically, in fact, released a short video of showing him he's got plenty of speed and power left, and he's pondering boxing and exhibition bouts. His trainer says that he's got the same speed and power as a 21-year-old. Uh, at the age of 53, Mike Tyson is a terrible person. He's an awful, horrible, horrific person. He's one of the best boxers and fighters of all time. He's terrifying in the ring. And what makes him uh, a bad person is he's terrifying out of the ring. But he's a really, 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 really good boxer. He's only lost six times in his boxing career. 50 wins, six losses, with 44 knockouts. Uh, out of those uh, 56, uh, f- out of those 50 wins, 44 of them were knockouts. Uh, and that was what he was best known for was his knockout power. Uh, and in fact, uh, Mike Tyson is the, uh, according to CompuBox, he landed 56% of his power punches, which is 15 percentage points higher than the heavyweight average. The list of people who have defeated Mike Tyson, James Douglas, Evander Holyfield, Lennox Lewis, Danny Williams, and Kevin McBride. Uh, and five of his six losses came by way of knockout. But 50 and 6, 53 years old, Mike Tyson staging a boxing comeback. I don't know. Sounds like a lot of hype to me. I don't think that's going to be... I don't think he's going to be boxing in any real matches. But exhibition bouts, charity bouts, possibly. 
And would it draw a, a crowd? It absolutely would. Mike Tyson, 53 years old, possibly staging a comeback in the boxing world. All right, story three here on the Top 10 Tuesday. Here's a crazy story that uh, has come out of this Last Dance documentary. There's a comedian. His name is, uh, oh, what's his name? Gary v- Gary Veter, Viter. He shared his story on Monday uh, claiming uh, after The Last Dance aired on Sunday and it showed Michael Jordan's final game, quote-unquote, as a Chicago Bull in Madison Square Garden. And Gary Veter says that he and his dad used to sneak into these games pretending to be press. Here's what he had to say. Uh, this is, uh, he's, he shent, he sent, he, excuse me, shared a picture, shent, he shent a picture of he and Michael Jordan posing inside the bowels of Madison Square Garden. And it says from 1993 to 1997, my father and I ran a scam saying I was a reporter for Sports Illustrated for Kids and that he was my photographer. My dad would smooth talk our way into games at Madison Square Garden and Nassau Coliseum without a ticket and get his access into the locker rooms. When we would get in the locker room, I would fake interview the players, take pictures, and get autographs. One of the closest calls we ever had was Michael Jordan's first game back at MSG. Oh, not his final game, but his first game back at MSG after he took a year and a half off to play baseball. We'd been to the Garden countless times before, but this time an actual reporter and photographer for Sports Illustrated for Kids showed up. My dad made it a point for us to say hi to them, never telling them who we were. I remember thinking as a 10-year-old, this is it, we're going to jail. After watching MJ score 55, my dad and I pushed to the locker room. Security was limiting how many people could get through, even press. We wound up getting in, and the real Sports Illustrated for Kids didn't. (laughs) You know what? Else? And then it continues on. And another detail is the Sports Illustrated for Kids reporter was an adult, and yet they believed more so that this kid was the Sports Illustrated for Kids reporter because it's Sports Illustrated for Kids. Brilliance. Uh, that's a memory that that dad. Look, I don't advise it. Uh, uh, you know, in favor of it, I don't condone the behavior, but I don't condemn it either. No harm, no foul. A great memory this kid has forever. And uh, now he is sharing it with the world. So cool. Don't do that, though. Nobody do that. The official stance of the Zone Sports Network and Austin Horton is don't break the law, don't break the rules, follow them to perfection. Story four here on a Top 10 Tuesday. I am a big, 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 big fan of women's soccer. Men's soccer is okay. Like, it's not... I love the World Cup. Uh, Beyond that, I'm not really into men's soccer at all, and I don't know what it is. I, I don't. I don't know what it is. Honestly, there's the stuff that bothers me about the sport, the ties, and the flopping, and, and uh, you know the time between goals. But there's a lot of stuff I love about the sport too: the athleticism, the endurance, the speed, the power, the uh, how it can it can come down to a final second shot. Uh, and I love that there's no commercial breaks. I, I, there's a lot I love about soccer. But I really enjoy women's soccer. There's something graceful uh, about the game. There's something more artistic to the game of women's soccer than, than the men's side of things. And for that, I am a huge proponent of the U.S. women's national team. I think they're the best in the world. They have been for decades. Uh, and, and I think that they're incredible. And they obviously win a lot more than the men. Well, if you missed it, there's been this lawsuit 
that uh, the USWNT stars Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe have been representing the team, but they've been asking for equal pay compared to what the men's team makes. And they took this to, to court, and uh, there was a judge, a federal judge, dismissed the case last week. Uh, and Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe said they are shocked. They were seeking $66 million in damages under the Equal Pay Act and Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. The team said the collective bargaining agreement did not pay its players equally compared to the U.S. men's national team. The team often cited its levels of success to back its claims, pointing out the revenue numbers as well as the numerous trophies, which include the last two World Cup's titles. The women can still move forward with the claims relating to the Civil Rights Act as they were not dismissed. So everything but the pay still uh, can move forward. The the medical treatment, the traveling arrangements, the you know the benefits, the perks that that uh, the men's team gets that the women don't, or that uh, they don't uh, match up to in dollar amount. But the fact that the equal pay gets tossed out is interesting. Now, before we before I tell you the the side of where I think the judge and the decision is coming from, I disagree with it. Uh, I think that the women should make the same amount as the men's team. Uh, I understand that now this is in a this is a Pollyannish way of looking at it a little bit. This is as Jake Scott says about Gordon Monson living in the hundred acre wood a little bit. Because it's a national team, there's something in me that says, well, of course the nation the nation should pay them equally. The truth of the matter is, which I disagree with, but the truth of the matter is, the uh, it's a business. It's it's a national team, yes, but it's a business national team and the men's teams make a lot more money even though they're terrible even though they suck even though they don't win anything even though they didn't even qualify for the world cup the world cup tv deal for the men is a lot bigger and the draw there the revenue i should say comes in a lot better on the men's sport than the women's and that's why the men get bigger payday bigger paydays bigger paychecks you make more money you can pay more money what I disagree with there, though, is I think that the women could be paid more than they're being paid. Equal pay, that judge said no. But could they still get be being paid more? Absolutely. They are better than the men. They should be making more money than they are. Regardless of what business is making what, they, they have enough money to pay these women more money. Now, they're not going to, and that's, that's a shame. But hopefully, they will at least get the same travel arrangements and the same perks and benefits as the men. They should be getting at least the same amount of pay, if not more. And I think it's a crying shame that the men's team makes more money than the women's team because the women are better. It's a better sport. It's a better TV experience. It's a better experience overall. The game of women's soccer. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think that that's where I stand. Maybe I'm in the minority, but it's too bad that this got thrown out. Uh, I wish the best to the women's national team. Uh, as they continue this suit forward, hopefully they get every penny the rest of the way that they're seeking. That brings us to weird, random, and fun story number five here on a Top 10 Tuesday. And it's a feel-good story. This one comes to us from Yahoo, and I'm just going to read most of it straight from it. Irish dig deep to support virus-hit Native Americans repaying 150-year-old debt. Donations to Native American tribes who have been badly hit by the coronavirus crisis are flooding in from Ireland as they repay a debt dating back to the 19th century potato famine. 
At least 41 people have fallen victim to COVID-19 in the Navajo Nation, with the spike in cases partly attributed to a water crisis. An estimated 40% of the Navajo did not have running water at home, and a drought in the southwest has exacerbated the difficulties. As the crisis intensified, the Navajo and Hopi families set up a GoFundMe campaign to raise cash to pay for bottled water. Already more than $1.3 million has been raised with donations flooding in from Ireland. The generosity dates back to a gesture made in March 1847 when the Choctaw tribe, which was gradually reestablishing itself in Oklahoma, having been ousted from its ancestral lands in Mississippi, heard news of the Irish potato famine across the Atlantic. Meeting in a building in Scullyville, Oklahoma, the Choctaw were asked to dig deep for people thousands of miles away they had never met. They did, and donations poured in. Now, 173 years later, the gesture has been repaid with donors from Ireland opening their wallets to help. The Choctaw and Navajo First Nation people helped the Irish during the Great Famine despite their own suffering, wrote Michael Corkery, who donated $200. When I learned about it, I never forgot it. They know all people are the same in the end and showed such decency and humanity. It's history now, but we are still grateful. Thank you. Really cool stuff there. That, 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 if that doesn't make you feel good, go see a doctor. Because that, that hits you right in the heart. That is incredible. Uh, and uh, if you have some to, to help with the Navajo Nation as well, you can find that uh, GoFundMe there on GoFundMe or uh, just search Navajo First Nation uh, water drought, and uh, you'll be able to help. So there you go. Incredible. Story six coming up right now here on a Top 10 Tuesday. Beast Mode is back. Marshawn Lynch is in talks to return to the Seattle Seahawks. This according to Marshawn Lynch. He joined uh, ESPN Scott Van Pelt on Monday and said it's almost on that expect the unexpected level when he talked about his future. But as far as right now, what I do know is I'm going to keep it solid. My agent has been in talks with Seattle, so like I said, we'll see what happens. If it works out and I get back up there, it is what it is. And if not, I'm looking good, so I ain't really tripping too much, close quote. Lynch, he turned 34 in April, unretired for the second time before week 17 of last season to rejoin the Seahawks after injuries, dis- after injuries decimated their backfield. In those three games, the regular season finale plus the wild card and divisional rounds in the playoffs, Lynch carried the ball 30 times for just 67 yards but did score four touchdowns, and he hadn't played in 14 months prior to that moment. Marshawn Lynch, beast mode, looking like he's going to be back in full force, full-time service with the Seattle Seahawks coming up whenever that season takes place. Story 7, hit it. Bit of audio here for you. The video is much better, but I think the, the audio will still give you the right idea. Uh, this comes uh, from a dad, Corey, Moto- Corey Motivation Baseball in Suwanee, Georgia. He's got a camera set up behind home plate. He's got his kid in his full Little League uniform, helmet, bat, pants, socks, cleats, jersey. And the dad's got a bucket of balls out at the the pitcher's mound. It's just them, he and his son out on a ball diamond just getting some batting practice in. And the son hits his first home run. In fact, I'm going to read to you what Corey wrote. May 1st, 2020 will forever be remembered in our memory banks. 
For those who have been following Ash and his baseball journey thus far, you know what he has gone what has gone into this moment. He did it. Home run over the fence. Pretty legit shot too. All those times in front of our house this past month paid off. So proud of you, son. Next goal is the and it's got a baseball emoji. I don't know. Looking forward to that 2021 season. Also had to rock his new Ronald Acuna jersey. <laughs> it's so good to be back. Uh, and he, then he tagged a bunch of Sports Center and MLB, MLB Network. So here it is: the sound of Corey's son Ash hitting his first ever home run, left-handed batter over the right center field fence. And yeah, let's see the the field. It's 120 feet to right to right uh, to right field. And uh, Ash, I don't. He looks like he's four or five years old. Hits it sweet. Hits it clean. And it cleared the fence by a good 30, 40 feet. Here you go. really special moment the the kid hits the home run he pauses and watches the dad turns and watches and as soon as it goes over that fence the dad is just doing cartwheels around the infield the kid flips the bat to the moon too which was so cool and the dad followed the kid around the bases uh as the kid ran the bases the dad danced around in the middle field there just behind the pitcher's mound and you would think that this kid had just walked off to win the world series how this dad picked him up and carried him around the diamond. It's amazing. And as I said a couple uh, episodes ago, I'm going to quote that movie Moneyball again. How can you not be romantic about baseball? God, I love it. I hope it comes back soon. Speaking of which, we do have a story here on the uh, the wheel about baseball. I don't know if it's next, but let's get to story number eight on a Top 10 Tuesday. All right, I swear to you, I did not know it was next. It is just on a random list, and here it is, but here it is. The Korean baseball organization has taken over everybody's television sets. Uh, now it's in the middle of the night, so a lot of people might DVR these things. But with the uh, uh, now, uh, what's his name? Trevor Plouffe's said that he's received word that baseball is targeting July 1st as opening day at regular ballparks. We'll see if that comes to be. We'll see if that comes to fruition. But until then, baseball is on hold, is on a hiatus. Well, good news is ESPN has our baseball fix, courtesy of the Korean Baseball Organization. First reported by Ji Ho Yu of the Yonhap News Agency, later confirmed by ESPN's Jeff Passan, and now it took place last night. First pitch of the KBO was at 1 a.m. Eastern time this morning, Tuesday, May 5th. And it featured the NC Dinos taking on the Samsung Lions. And you can you can go anywhere online. Pick your team in the Korean baseball organization. Cheer for them. Follow them. You've got, there are 10 teams. The Doosan Bears, Hanwha Eagles, Kia Tigers, Kiwoom Heroes, KT Wiz, LG Twins, Lottie Giants, NC Dinos, Samsung Lions, and SK Wyverns. If you notice, they're all named after the businesses that own them. 
Uh, you heard Kia, LG, uh, Samsung in there, among others. Uh, but if you want a, a more detailed breakdown of the teams, Yahoo has a guide, and it notes which teams have ex-MLB players who won the league last year, who who's the lovable losers of the league. Uh, for me, I'm picking just just based simply on my favorite of those businesses listed, and I'm a Samsung guy, so I'm a Samsung Lions fan. And of course, they lost game one for nothing to the NC Dinos. And by all accounts, the Samsung Lions are like one of the worst teams to cheer for. So I don't I don't choose my baseball teams well. I like the Angels. They've got the best player, I think, in the history of baseball, and they are terrible. Well, not terrible, but their pitching staff is terrible, so therefore they don't win a lot of games. I choose the Samsung Lions. They make cool phones and TVs. Not so good at baseball so far. But anyway, Korean Baseball Organization has got our baseball fix for the meantime on ESPN. Two more stories left on a Top 10 Tuesday. All right, some eagle-eyed viewers of the Last Dance documentary have noticed that sometimes Michael Jordan had a cigar and a drink in the picture when he's doing these interviews, and other times he doesn't. And some people have wondered, why is he doing this uh, at certain points of the day in these interviews? Well, uh, Michael, is it, no, Jason here, who joined uh, the, the uh, Jalen and Jacoby after show to break down what fans saw in the docuseries. And here's what it says. Uh, there's an abundance of content to gi- digest from ESPN's Last Dance, and that includes Jordan's sit-down interviews. At one point, Jalen Rose and J- David Jacoby dove into what it was actually like for Hare to interview Jordan about so many topics. Hare explained that he and his team interviewed Jordan multiple times for The Last Dance, three of which have appeared in the documentary so far. The first time was in June of 2018, and Hare said he didn't speak with Jordan again until May of 2019, when he set out with an even more specific plan for what he called a surgical interview to fill in some major holes in the production at that point. As it turns out, Jordan went into it with a slightly different pre-interview plan, thanks to his mom, Dolores Jordan. According to Hare, the reason Jordan has a drink and cigar next to him in their first interview, when he's wearing the dark blue shirt, and not in subsequent ones, is because his mother, Dolores, didn't care for it. Quote, he couldn't have a cigar on set because his mom got mad at him. He said, I can't have the cigars today because my mom got mad at me because she saw me smoking a cigar. Close quote. Oh, so crazy. Uh, That opened the door, though, for Rose to bring up Jordan's drink in that interview and the varying levels of it. When Rose asked how Jordan's glass appeared to get refilled throughout that interview, because there is a point where they start the interview, there's there's not as much liquid in the drink. Then the interview comes back, it's full. Then they come back, it's gone. Then they come back, it's halfway gone. Uh, Hare explained it's pretty simple. And he's got a long explanation. But what they do is they interview him for three, four hours straight. And they may use a chunk of that interview at the first. Some of that interview in the second episode, come back to it in the third. And it doesn't always go exactly in order how the interview went. That's pretty simple enough. So the cigar and drink conspiracy has been solved from the last dance. That brings us to the final topic here on a Top 10 Tuesday. Louisville basketball finally getting some comeuppance for its egregious recruiting behaviors. Uh, Louisville received a notice of allegations from the NCAA on Monday, including one level one allegation involving improper recruiting offers for former signee Brian Brown II and the coach of another prospect and three level two allegations 
including one against former basketball coach Rick Pitino. Louisville also is accused of failing to adequately monitor the recruitment of an incoming high-profile student-athlete. The NCAA alleges that Patino, who was recently hired at Iona, did not satisfy his head coach's responsibility when he failed to promote an atmosphere of compliance. Former assistant coaches Kenny Johnson and Jordan Fair are accused of providing impermissible benefits and transportation and having impermissible contact with a recruit. I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, If you want to dive into the nitty-gritty, dirty details of what exact benefits it were impermissible benefits that were offered to this uh brian brown the second go ahead and google it it's not family friendly and it's egregious and just to have allegations that's not enough there needs to be some actual punishment but here's the ncaa finally getting off their duff and telling louisville basketball all right now we're going to investigate you now we're going to look into this will anything come of it i don't know Rick Pitino had his fall guy. Like Chris Carter said back in the day, have a fall guy so that when things go down, you can point to them and say, I didn't know they were doing that. That's what Rick Pitino claimed. That's what he said. Is he going to get any kind of punishment? Probably not. And he's going to just coach at Iona. Is he a good basketball coach? You bet. Is he a great recruit? How could you not be with some of the stuff that you're offering an 18, 19, 17-year-old kid that they were offering? And they, the, the hammer of the law... Not just NCAA should come down hard on Louisville basketball and everyone involved. But that's just me. We'll see if anything comes of it. I don't think it will. There you go. That's a top 10 Tuesday. Uh, Thanks for joining me. I'm Austin Horton. It's the EP Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, iHeart, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, uh, anywhere you find your uh, your podcast. Go ahead and find us there. You can get us on 1280thezone.com slash ep-podcast. The Zone Sports Network app in the on-demand audio section under the podcast tab. Find me on Facebook, the EP Podcast, on Twitter, at Austin Horton. Send me an email, austin.horton at 1280thezone.com. That's it for a Tuesday. We'll see you on an acoustic Wednesday. And until then, as always, be good to each other. Time now for the laugh of the day. But it's okay, I got my son. He's the enforcer. He's 10 now. We started getting him into the sports, early, you know, when he's about six, right? Started the sports, so he's been doing that since bulking up. You know? Right? Six years old. Who remembers playing sports when they were a kid? Like T-ball, soccer, round of applause, if you gotta remember this, yeah? yeah? Here's the thing. Now that I have kids in the sports and doing this stuff, I've noticed something. Sports, they changed for kids. They've changed since I played. See, I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, right? And sports, we just did things differently. It was just different. I mean, we, we did crazy stuff in the 80s, you guys. Yeah, we kept score, uh, which is completely unheard of now, right? Because you don't want to hurt the kids' feelings if they lose, right? Because everyone's a winner, right, guys? That's real life, isn't it? No, I've been to Walmart. We're not all winners out there, guys, all right? We're not all All I'm saying is we need to teach our kids what it feels like to lose so they know what it feels like to win and work for it. That's all I'm saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. And get after a little bit. But I'm not going to get on a whole pedestal about this issue because we got bigger problems with kids' sports. The treats. You guys remember the treat parent at the end of the game? Yeah. The treats. In the 80s, we got awesome treats, man. We got like Mountain Dew or Surge. You guys remember Surge? Yeah, it wasn't surgery, it was Jolt Cola, five times the caffeine, right? You get that stuff, your kid would be like, woo! 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 
mow the lawn, drive the car, clean it. It's nuts, man. You got some sort of cupcake with it? Nothing healthy. It was great. Those were the treats. But you can't get away with treats like that now, can you? <laughs> Something magically in the last few years called gluten came out. Ruined everything. <laughs> gluten issues? Are you kidding me? We didn't have gluten issues in the 80s. We just dealt with the diarrhea. You know what I mean? We just dealt with it. Got a little tummy ache or scrape on your knee. Your daddy or grandpa back. Rub some dirt in it. Eat the dirt. You guys remember the dirt mentality? Yeah, those were good times. Dirt fixed everything in the 80s. Maybe sitting there with a broken leg, just dangling there, right? Just dangling. Your grandpa would be coming to put some dirt in it and walk it off. That's how it works. Yeah. But you can't even say the dirt thing anymore because it'd have to be organic dirt. Huh? Get it for $100 at Hulfitz, right? Stupid. Ridiculous. But here's the thing. When you're a kid... You play the sport, you eat your treat, you take your nap, and that's your day, right? That's all you know. You don't see the crappy side of kids' sports, which is what your parents had to deal with, which was dealing with the other parents. Right? Here's the thing. Most of the parents are pretty cool, except for that one. Her name's Meredith, right? She's the worst, right? Did I change her name for this joke? No, I did not. I want her to know, right? She's the worst, right? This is the lady that brings water and celery for a treat, okay? Water's not a treat, right? Celery sucks. Yeah, you can't even put peanut butter on it because it's a nut allergy kid on the team. Peanut allergy. Oh my gosh, man. Peanut allergy, it's a real thing. I get it. But what is happening? We didn't have that in the 80s. Right? It's, listen, it's not the zombie apocalypse that's going to kill us, guys. It's the peanut allergy. Right? Yeah, for sure. But the point is, Meredith's the worst, okay? But I'm gonna be the hero, because I'm the treat parent after Meredith. Yeah. I didn't go crazy, guys. I got Gatorade, right? I got the red and blue kind, because they're the best. Yellow sucks, because when you're a kid, it might be pee. You don't know. <laughs> the yellow never even made it into the cooler to get cold in the 80s, you guys. It stayed warm in the sun to get warm like pee, all right? So if you're that last kid stuck with the yellow Gatorade, you stayed parched for the rest of the day. You weren't risking it, yeah. So I'm not doing that to these kids. I got the red and blue kind, and then I got cupcakes. I don't give a crap. That's right, I got the Hostess cupcakes, a little swirly on top of the creamy filling in the middle. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Best kind of cupcake! Hero! Yeah. So I go to the game, we win, because we're winners. Kept score in my own head. Because <laughs> that's what we do as parents, we keep score. We do, we care. We care. Yeah. Except for I'm the parent that voices that we won. Made a winter flag out of our bed sheets at home. My wife's still mad. <laughs> but I'm sitting there, I pull that baby out. I'm like, whoa, we won. <laughs> woo! Right, and Meredith's like, we don't keep score here, Heath. I'm like, shut up, Meredith. Woo! Right? I'm excited. The kids are excited, right? They're like, where's the treat parent? I'm like, guys, I'm over here. They come over. They get their Gatorade, they get their cupcakes, they're jacked upon sugar, running all over the place, right? They carry me on their shoulders. Six-year-olds carry me on their shoulders. It's beautiful. It was like reverse Rudy. It was awesome. Yeah, they're chanting my name. They're like, Mr. Harmison, Mr. Harmison. Beautiful, I'm crying, right? And then that witch, Meredith, ruined everything. Yeah, she comes up to me, she's like, I'm sorry, Mr. Harmison. 
Apparently, you didn't get the memo. Okay, we have gluten issues on this team, mister. Okay, and my son, Timmy, has a peanut allergy. He eats a peanut, he will die. I'm like, well, Meredith, your son scored a goal for the other team. I'd be doing this team a favor! 